Today on Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares. Love others more than yourself. It's a real simple concept. It's profoundly difficult, but it is simple. Love others more than yourself. That means when push comes to shove in my relating to people, I'm asking myself, should, should I have this guy as a part of this team and will it really help him? Because I'm really gonna be more concerned about him and his family than me and my organization. In our me-centered culture, Bible verses like count others more significant than yourselves are a tough sell. The world teaches that if you don't fight for yourself, nobody will. While Jesus says the last will be first and the first will be last. Well, today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares is reminding us that once we know Christ, it's time to stop living the way the world does and stop valuing what our culture says is important. Our message is titled, Breaking Stride with the World's Campaign Manager. Everything in our culture and sometimes in the fiber of our humanity, we are tempted to promote ourselves. If you want to avoid that with your mouth, here's the end all. Here's the surefire solution that you will not do it. It's simply obeying this simple verse in Ephesians chapter 4. Look at this passage with me. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 29. It's the reason God gave us the ability to communicate. When it comes to my relationship with you and the reason God gave me a mouth and the ability to speak words is because God wanted me to use my mouth for a very particular and specific purpose. And it's not unwholesome talk. That's just one category. But it's not, Do not let any unwholesome talk, it says, come out of your mouth. But only, very important word, circle it, but only what is helpful for, here's the purpose, building up others according to their needs. Whose needs? Their needs. Ask the question, Absalom, was he uh, spending time chatting with those guys by the side of the road so that he could meet their needs? No. Was he, was he kissing them and hugging them, telling them, you know, I really appreciate you and we're all one big happy family because he's meeting, meeting uh, people's needs or his own needs? His own needs. Is he telling his dad about his, his, his vow and, and going off to worship and his plans and his schedule for the next month because he was interested in David's needs? No. He was saying all that for his own good and his own needs. His need and desire was to be promoted, and he was saying things, whether it's flattery or deception or put-downs, they were all verbal tools to make him look good, to be promoted, to edge his way up on the corporate ladder in Israel, the political ladder. That's what he was doing. The text says you got one thing to do when you open your mouth. What is it? As it relates to people, it's to meet needs. Look at it. Only for building up others according to their needs that it may benefit who? People that listen. It can benefit them. How far off are we on this way off? Put it this way in your outline if you want to live this passage out. We need to serve someone else when we talk. Serve someone else. Don't serve yourself. That's the way your flesh is wired. Your mouth will open and it will try to serve you. You have to control it. And by God's grace, get your mouth in serve mode, not self-serve. Get it in serve mode and keep it there. And when you talk, try to serve people. How can I benefit them? What will this conversation do for them? Or are you just interested in spewing out what you're interested in spewing out so that people will think rightly about you? Boy, this is a challenge. 
And Satan subtly works in our conversations to do it. Manifested in put-downs, manifested in flattery, manifested in deceptions about who we really are. But the bottom line is the goal is to serve, to serve with what I say. Now, I know some of you have already checked out. Those of you that checked out, listen up for a sec. You've checked out because you've said, oh, that's really good, little preacher boy, little monastic <laughs> commentary reader, you know? You're in your little ivory tower all week reading your Bible, right? That's great for you. But hello, I live in the real world, see? And the real world, you can't live that way. That's great for donuts and coffee on the patio of the church, but I can't do that Monday through Friday. If I do, I'm going down, I'm going under. I can't survive that way in my job. If you don't promote yourself, man, you're just in big trouble. I mean, that's what my job is all about. I gotta sell myself, gotta move forward, gotta elbow. I, I can't live by that's a nice, neat thing. It's not realistic. Proverbs chapter 22, go there and look at this. And as you're turning there, think of this. It's either true or it's not true. What I'm about to show you is either true or it is false. It either was meant to be in the Bible by God or it was there by mistake for some reason. One or the other. And if it is true, remember this. If the verse we're about to read is true, then I can line up for you hundreds of thousands of people. And if we could go back in time, I could line up millions of people that could stand behind a microphone and testify to the veracity, truthfulness, and applicability of the verse we're about to read. Are you tracking? If it's true, it works. And here's what the Bible says. Proverbs 22, verse number four. Circle the first word, humility. You know what humility is? It is the opposite of self-promotion. It is the absolute antithetical difference between someone who is out to make a name for himself and someone who is not. Humility is being humble. Not being lifted up, being lowered. It's someone who is not out to elbow his way to the top. Humility and the fear of the Lord bring, uh-oh, I can't believe this next word, what? Wealth, honor, and life. Look at that again. Humility and the fear of the Lord bring wealth, honor, and life. Now, either that is true or it's false. And if it's true, it's not just true for ancient Near Eastern kings, and it's not just true for preachers. It's true for you in your job, Monday through Friday, 9 to 5. It's true for you. And that means you've got two things you can choose to do. You can choose to elbow your way to the top. You can read all your self-help books. You can get all the plaques up on the wall about you promoting yourself. Or you can be a humble person and you can say, when I talk, I try to serve people. I'm not trying to edge my way up. I'm not trying to put trappings around myself to be understood as a greater, important, dignified person in people's eyes. And if you do, the Bible says there are results for that. God brings wealth, honor, and life. And by the way, I think it is true because in my own experience, the people that I know of who are the most influential, truly influential people, who are the most powerful people, are not the people that got there by self-promotion. Do you not agree with that? Think it through. People that are truly influential are not people that got there by elbowing their way to the top. Now, you may think of some exceptions, but I trust you. Trust me on this. They are paranoid, short-term, about-to-lose-power kind of people. That's how it works. If they elbow their way to the top, they're insecure when they get there, and it never lasts. 
but people that are truly influential and leave a legacy of influencing people and do great things in this world are the kinds of people that didn't do it through self-promotion. Because I know what you're saying. If I don't pr promote myself, who will promote me? Great question. Do you see the answer in that verse? God does it. If you don't promote yourself, the only person that's going to promote you is God. And when he does it, he does it right. Think about examples in Scripture. Who's the most powerful person I can think of in the Old Testament? How about Moses? How powerful was he? He was so powerful, guys, his face glowed. Hello, that's powerful, right? <laughs> You're in a board meeting, and one of the guys at the, board, at, the, at the table, his face is glowing. His vote counts, right? He's important. He's coming down the, ta down the, the mountain with the, the stone tablets that God wrote. He's having conversations with God, like he and God are friends. This guy's powerful. And do you know what the Bible says, Numbers 12, about him? He was the most humble person on the face of the earth. God wants to entrust influence and power to people. But he's not looking for, I thought of the, the, the slogan on the Marine base, he's looking for a few good men. God's not looking for a few good men. You know what he's looking for? A few humble people. Just want some humble people to work with. God is looking for a few humble people. Because the Bible says very clearly, if you humble yourself, God will exalt you. And that's a whole lot different than the self-help books leading yourself to the top of the ladder. If you want to make it in life, you're going to make it on God's timetable in God's way, and he will put you in a position of power or authority or influence when he wants to. And when you're there, you won't be scared as to who's going to take it away because you didn't get there by self-promotion. God got you there. I love the way Peter puts it. He will exalt you at the proper time. So when you talk, no need to sell yourself. When you talk, as a matter of fact, serve other people. Back to our passage, 2 Samuel chapter 15. Not only was Absalom very good at using external things to promote himself, not only was he really good at using words to promote himself. One more thing. And it's the most abhorrent thing in the passage. He used one more thing in verses 10 through 12 to promote himself. Look at it. Verse 10. Absalom sent secret messengers throughout the tribes of Israel to say, as soon as you hear the sound of the trumpets, say, this is Absalom. And Absalom is king in Hebron. 200 men had gotten nice invitations from Absalom in Jerusalem. They were important men. They had accompanied him. They had been invited as guests, and they went quite innocently, thinking they were going to some worship service. They didn't know anything about Absalom's motives. They didn't know that he was trying to undermine the king of Israel, his own father. Verse 12, while Absalom was offering sacrifices, oh, you know, that was real sincere, he also sent for one important guy. He picked up his cell phone and he called for a guy that he thought would be critically important in his coup d'etat. And who was it? It was a man named Ahithophel. And Ahithophel, Ahithophel was at one time the most important advisor to the king. But there was a little rift between Dave and Ahithophel because you might remember if you've been with us that Ahithophel was the grandfather of Bathsheba. So they were a little strained. So he wasn't hanging out in Jerusalem. He was in his own hometown, but he calls him. Hey, uh, can you meet me in Hebron? Let's do lunch. And you know what? He keeps bringing people carefully selected, secret, look at it, verse 10, secret messengers, verse 11, 200 men, why the men? Because these men now taken, these important men from Jerusalem would be gone when he starts his insurrection and his rebellion, they won't be there and David will be stripped of the important nobles in the kingdom. And so they're used like pawns. 
The secret messengers are used like pawns, and even Ahithophel, a very important royal commander and counselor, is used as a pawn. Now, it's one thing to use things to promote myself, and it's another thing to use words to promote myself, but it is a whole nother sinful, evil thing, isn't it? To use people to promote myself. But I'll tell you what, when we're bent on promoting ourselves, we'll do it. And we will use relationships, we'll call them contacts, we'll use friendships, we'll call it networking, and we'll use them like little stepping stones in our pathway to success. And it is just another outlet of the sinful, demonic, satanic ploy for us to do whatever it takes to be number one. And that is not God's plan. As a matter of fact, just like we solved the problem with a simple passage in the New Testament as it relates to our mouths, let's do it in the New Testament as it relates to our relationships. Turn with me, if you would, to Philippians chapter 2. And in Philippians chapter 2, let me remind you that my whole goal in my relating to people Just like my goal in talking to people is service, my whole goal in relating to people is something very simple. And it's so simple that if it is grasped in my mind, if I do it, there's no possible way I can use you. I cannot use my relationship with you to advance my own selfish means if I do this. Philippians chapter 2. This passage is all about how Jesus treated us, which, by the way, we learned a lot about last week. If we saw in the Old Testament the standard, and that was to love our neighbor as we loved ourselves, we learned that in the New Testament, the standard was completely revised. And Jesus says in John 13, it's no longer loving your neighbor as you love yourself. You're to love each other as I've loved you. How was that? Look at it. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. He says, you know, guys, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, there's our key, Consider others as equal to yourselves. Circle the word equal. No, it's not equal anymore. That was Old Testament stuff. New Testament stuff is I consider them in humility what? Better, better. You know what that spells? Love. That's what love is. When I love someone, what I'm saying to them is I put your interests in front of mine. I put your needs in front of mine. I put your agenda in front of mine. And I try to, in my relating with you, love you. And, you know, that's what we're called to do. It sounds so simple. It's so hallmark. It's so planned. It's so trite. It's so Afghan. I mean, it's so simple. But you know what? In reality, what it is, it is the safeguard against me ever using a relationship with someone for my own selfish gain. Because I can't love you and use you at the same time. I can't. Treat them as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests. Look out for the interests of others. That means when he calls Ahithophel, he should be thinking, how can I meet Ahithophel's needs? Do you think that was in in Absalom's mind at all? Zero. Do you think he had any interest in those 200 people that came to dinner with him in Hebron and took him out of Jerusalem? Do you think he had any interest for the, the welfare or the good of those people? Absolutely not. He made those calls and those phone calls and those contacts and those letters. They were all sent saying, what can I get out of them? Not how can I meet their needs. Again, don't check out on me. This works in the real world. God knows it does. God knows that this works. It is not going to send you into poverty out on the streets if you try to apply this. Oh, I can't do that. I'm a salesman. I can't love the customers. You can. And when you do, you'll find out you'll get a whole different kind of clientele. People that know that you care. And that in a real sense, you're trying to provide a need, not just sell a product and make a few bucks. Do you understand what I'm saying? It works. And it works because it's true. And we are to, I put it this way in your outline, love others more than yourself. It's a real simple concept. It's profoundly difficult, but it is simple. Love others more than yourself. 
That means when push comes to shove in my relating to people, I'm asking myself, should, should I have this guy as a part of this team and will it really help him? Because I'm really gonna be more concerned about him and his family than me and my organization. What a novel way to look at hiring. I, just, I use that example because it's so practical and simple in my own life. Is this really good for them to be a part of our team? That's just looking out for them and seeing their interests as before my own. That's critical and that's important and it's foundational. We've got to love others more than we love ourselves. That's what Christ did and that's where the passage goes from here. Verse five, your attitude ought to be the same as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, didn't regard equality with God something to be hung on to, something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in the human likeness, if that wasn't humiliating enough, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Isn't that the crux of our theology? That we are saying that God in Christ, Christ gave us preference over himself, that he said, I'll be willing to hang here naked and be beaten and spat upon and crucified on a Roman execution rack so you wouldn't have to. You can get out of this and I'll do it for you. That's what it's all about. He puts us in front of him. And then look at this. Isn't this what it all comes down to? Verse nine, therefore God exalted him. Who did it? God did. To the highest place, gave him the name which is above every name, the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, heaven, earth, under the earth, and every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Who does the exalting when we humble ourselves? God does. If you're really going to put other people in front of you, who's going to have to take care of you then? God will. And he's great at it. We just have to be gutsy enough in a world that's so focused on self-promotion to say we're not going to worry about that. We're going to worry about one other objective, to be humble. Not selfish, humble. I was a freshman the first time I went to Lake Powell. If you've been to Lake Powell in northern Arizona, you know that Glen Canyon has been uh, filled with water and these huge, vertical, majestic painted walls of the canyon rise up almost straight up from the surface of the water. And so many incredible, picturesque scenes there at Lake Powell. And my first time there as a freshman in high school, I was... Uh, taken to this one spot. We had water skied for a few hours and we'd come over to this one spot by the edge of the canyon and some upperclassmen had said, we've got a little place up here we want to show you. <laughs> it was really easy to walk up to. We walked all the way up these rocks and it was perfect. It was almost like a stairway. And we got to this little shelf and there were about six of us. And we looked down this vertical wall at the water and it was probably only 25 feet, but in my freshman mind, it was about 125. It was just dizzying. It was like... <gasps> You know, like, now what, right? And the first two guys jumped off. And I'm looking around like, what, what am I doing here? And there they are, bobbing their heads. Hey! And one of them goes, come on, Fabares, it's your turn. You know, and I'm looking, and I did this about 13 times, you know, like... And then I this big gruff voice behind me, some big guy, come on, man, hurry up. <laughs> and it dawned on me right about then that I got one of two choices. Either I jump or I get pushed, right? <laughs> Either way, I'm going down. And I thought, 
you know, that's a tough choice. But I'll jump. When it comes to humility, it's exactly the same way. Especially for those of you that commit your life to Christ. You can either humble yourself or you can be humbled. Because God won't have any of us with haughty eyes, nose in the air, prideful, self-promoting. He won't have it in his family. And you know what? I much prefer humbling myself. Because God takes stiff-necked people that won't bow their heads to their fellow man, that won't shut their mouths when it comes to self-promotion. People who can't stop putting advertisements about how important they are in the things that they purchase. And he humbles them. And there'll be a day, and it's coming in Absalom's life, when God will humble him. Because he wouldn't humbly come before God and say, God, if you call me to be king, it'll be in your time and in your way. Instead, he was busy elbowing his way to the top. I suggest instead of being pushed, you just jump. And tell God this morning, I will make it my passion. And it will become my objective in life to approach life as completely different than the rest of the world. I will be humble. God, such a hard countercultural message for us to hear, and it's very difficult for us to apply. Because even in the next 30 minutes, out of our mouth, there will be the temptation to creep out words that make us look good, words that put us above other people, critical words that compare us as better than the person we're criticizing. And God, in reality, we need to come to the place in our lives when we recognize that in your family, there's only one star. In the kingdom, there's only one throne. And that we, in ever aspiring to self-promotion, need to come to grips real fast with the reality that you won't have it. That you're not gonna have that in your family, you're not gonna have that in your economy, you're not gonna have that in your kingdom, and no one is gonna boast before you. So God, help us, save us a lot of pain, and a lot of frustration, a lot of hassle by helping us this morning to humble ourselves. Do this that we might be the kind of people you've designed us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You're listening to Focal Point and a message from Pastor Mike Fabares called Breaking Stride with the World's Campaign Manager. To review the study notes for today's message or to listen again, go to focalpointradio.org. Just look for the series called Politicking. You know, we're so grateful for those of you in our listening audience who give to support this Bible teaching program so that we never have to put Pastor Mike's messages behind a paywall. Here's a recent comment we received from Caleb. He said, I'm 21 years old and just want to thank Pastor Mike for expanding my knowledge as I walk through a journey of adversity. I've been diagnosed with ADHD, anxiety and depression, and bipolar 2 disorder. I fell into a deep, dark place. I prayed for guidance, and I came across his sermons, and the lessons were about when life is tough. I have felt relief and found joy through God's Word, and I have become stronger and more confident in myself. I have found myself and my relationship with God. Thank you for saying what God wanted me to hear. I feel calm and more relaxed with the world because I know that there's a place that's far better than this one. Keep up the good work. Well, if you've been strengthened and equipped through this program like Caleb, will you partner with us to reach even more people this year? You can join the mission right now by calling us at 
320-5885 or donate online at focalpointradio.org. And to say thanks for your support today, we'd like to send you a book written by Pastor Mike called Lifelines for Tough Times. If you've ever wondered why God allows suffering, or if He even cares at all, I think you'll be encouraged and strengthened through the stories, personal experiences, and Bible teaching Mike shares in this book. Just call 888-320-5885 or go to focalpointradio.org. If you prefer sending your donation by mail, write to Focal Point, Post Office Box 2850, Laguna Hills, California, 92654. Well, I'm Dave Drewy, inviting you to join us again Wednesday when we'll discuss how to be godly in the worst of times. That's coming up right here on Focal Point. Pastor Mike here. You know, it's an honor to be with you every day, helping you explore the depths of Scripture. But I want to be clear, no amount of Bible knowledge is ever going to save you. Be sure where you stand with God. Get in touch with us. We'd love to pray with you and for you. Visit us today at focalpointradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.